Welcome to another episode of Tech Writer Voices. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. And today we are talking about agile environments and technical writing within an agile environment. I'm talking with Alyssa Fox, who is an information development, ma- development manager for NetIQ in Texas. And Alyssa presented on tech writing in agile environments at the last STC Summit. And she's presented elsewhere and written on this topic. Um, she manages a team of, how many writers do you manage? I manage eight writers. Eight writers. And and they're very immersed in this environment. So I thought she would be the perfect person. Actually, several people, uh, when I posted on Twitter who, who would be a good person to interview, several people said Alyssa immediately. So... Alyssa, you you come highly recommended. <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. So tell me, just for everybody, as an introduction here, what exactly is an agile environment? Well, an agile environment, an agile development methodology actually focuses on um, trying to develop software in a way that uh, involves customers more and um, is a little bit more fluid as changes come in and focuses a lot on communication and um, being able to um, use your communication skills in trying to develop software in a more iterative manner. Um, the whole idea behind it really is to not get into a software development rut where you get further down the road and say you're six months into a nine-month release cycle and um, a customer decides they don't like the way you've implemented something when you demo it for them. Um, Well, once you're using like a waterfall method, for example, it's very hard to go back and um, change anything at that point without completely throwing the whole release off. Agile is intended to be a little bit more fluid and more uh, receptive to off-the-cuff changes like that. So in, in the traditional waterfall method, People write up requirements and specifications that are going to last for two years or however long the project lasts. But for Agile, how long are these iterations, these short chunks of of work? Well, it really depends on what the team decides. Um, I actually have uh, several products that I uh, oversee and um, that my writers work on. And um, some teams, you know, will have three-week iterations and some teams have six-week iterations. It just really kind of depends on the product and on whatever the team is comfortable with because the product team uh, and the project team actually decides um, together how long they're going to have those iterations each release cycle. So there's there's some flexibility. Is there flexibility in how people approach Agile? I mean, are there gradations of it or is it pretty standard how it should be run? Uh, That's actually a really good question because I would say that just by its very nature, I mean, the term agile development means that you can be agile in the way that you apply it. Um, I, I believe that you can um, do different ways, you know, use different ways of doing it. I have different uh, teams that I work with do it differently within our own company. You know, we have a, a set of principles that we try to all adhere to, and we have certain best practices that we all try to adhere to. But sometimes, you know, one particular team may work a better way um, doing this, where that won't work at all on another team. And I actually, when we presented at the STC uh, Summit last year on our evaluation forms, we actually had somebody comment that my company wasn't doing Agile at all <laughs> because of um, the way that we were applying certain things. So apparently, I, I guess some people do think that you have to do it in a very strict manner. I personally don't. Um, I think that as long as it works for the team and you're working well together and getting the product out like you need to with high quality, then um, that's that's good enough for me. I agree. I agree. There's some terminology that uh, in my organization, we don't 
we, we use agile, but we don't use all the same terminology. For example, the word scrum master and sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have leads and we have uh, durations and iterations, but, but, but we do stray a little bit from traditional terms. Now, here's the big question. When you moved to an agile environment, how did your writing process have to change? Well, first of all, um, probably the biggest hit right off the bat for us that the most obvious thing that we noticed was the lack of specs from development. Um, but with Waterfall, we, you know, we started with our requirements, then you move on to the specs, then you move on to the coding, then you move on to the testing. And um, we could start writing as soon as we had a set of specs, we could start writing off the specs and fill in the details later. Uh, when we moved over to Agile, we don't really get specs like we did before. Um, we have a couple of teams that are very good about writing what we call user story documents that are kind of like mini specs um, to, uh, directly designed really to be a spec for a user story versus a spec for the entire project. Um, but some of our teams don't do that. So um, we have to really spend a lot of time focusing on trying to develop uh, develop relationships with QE and with development and um, under helping development understand why we need this information and why it's important to our users. So that would probably be the biggest thing I can think of off the bat. So if you don't have any spec documents, do you have prototypes like visual mockups of, of what people are building? Uh, yes, again, that depends on the team. We have a couple of teams that are really good about doing that and some that aren't. So we pretty much ask for one thing or another. If we're not getting any kind of spec documents, we ask for the paper prototypes. Um, if we're not getting the prototypes, we ask for the specs. And between the two or some you know, some sort of mishmash and the conversations we're having in our meetings and stuff and with our uh, coworkers, then we usually get the information that we need. Sometimes we have to push harder than others, but um, we do have a lot more prototyping than we did before. Yeah, so it, it, in my place, we we actually have prototypes that we have some interaction designers mock up, and and they're really helpful. But I noticed there's a lot of um, there's just a lot that's you can't put on on a prototype uh, because it's just what people agree upon in meetings. So right. So this brings up the top the the issue of meetings. How how do you approach that? Do you send your writers to every meeting or or what? Well, um, I do make sure that my writers go to all of the scrums uh, the, or the stand-up meetings. Uh, most of my team's product teams have them either daily or three to four times a week. Um, and I, I am pretty insistent about that because that's really important. Um, the developers and the QE people and the other people involved have, have gotten a lot better in the last few years since we started doing Agile and being very specific about what they're working on. And often that's when we find um, when we're going to be needed with certain stuff. We work on usability of GUIs. We also work on um, text on screens, error messages, that sort of thing. And um, being in those scrums is pretty vital to that because um, that's when they say, hey, I'm working on the installer and I'm going to need help with this text. Um, so that kind of stuff I do um, like for them to go to and really they need to as a uh, you know, as an important part of the project um, other meetings like for example design meetings I like for them to be in design meetings if they're not so low level that um, you know say they're talking about 
how they're going to make this middleware component hook up to the database. We don't need to know that because ultimately our users aren't really going to need to know that. Um, we need to know enough that we can document it for our users, but I don't think that we need to know every single detail of the code. There's, there's kind of a fine line you have to find in there. And our more experienced writers can pretty well figure out which meetings they need to be in and which they don't. Um, you know, and then our leads and stuff are there to help our, our more junior writers try to figure that out. Because while we do want to be as involved as possible, we don't want to waste our time in a bunch of meetings, especially since the writers on my team work on multiple project teams. They just don't have time to be at every meeting for every project. I, I agree. This is actually a really interesting topic because I think most everybody complains about going to these meetings that are so long and boring and, and don't really apply. At the same time, I noticed, I noticed that if I skip out of these meetings, I lose out when these discussions about, oh, the error message or the button name or this little on-screen wordage, verbiage, mm -hmm. uh, they don't really, they just kind of do it, right? And then later, I'm cruising around the, what they've developed, and I, and I discover it, and I think, wow, I wish I could have been there when this was uh, being talked about so that I didn't have to go nag people to change something that's already been coded. So trying to figure out when you're relevant and when you're not, it's it. I think what you say, uh, your experienced writers just develop a sense of it. I think that must uh, be the way it is. Right, and and a lot of that is uh, from stuff that we even worked on before we started doing agile and just trying to get our writers to be a more of a part of the team. Um, we've worked really, really hard at NetIQ to try and um, get us involved from the very beginning. So if anything, we tend to err on the over-involved. You know, we, we always say, go ahead and invite us to the meeting. And, you know, if it turns out we figure out that we don't need to be there, then we'll come for 20 minutes and realize we don't need to be there, then go back to our desks. But we would much rather do that than miss a meeting where, you know, thing something's discussed that is really important. And then we just find it later when we're poking around in our VMs. So, sorry, did you just say vans? VMs. Sorry. Oh, VMs. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, actually, that leads to another question that I have since you brought up virtual machines. So, you have your writers install their own builds on their own machines. Is that yes. right? Yes, we do. Um, each of our writers are responsible for maintaining virtual, at least one virtual machine for the product that they write for. Um, and the reason we do that, we actually started that before we did Agile as well, because um, so many times we would have discussions with developers and we'd be, you know, writing off the spec or the developer would tell us one thing, then we would see a new build and it was nothing with like what they told us it was going to be. But they didn't tell us that they had changed what they told us they were going to do. So um, that was kind of a safeguard for us to be um, able to write the stuff accurately and really know what's going on with the product. Also, um, we hold all of our writers responsible for the technical accuracy of their doc and don't really let them rely on a developer's review to make sure that it's technically accurate. And so for them to be able to um, have their own virtual machines, install the product themselves, that helps them learn the product better. And uh, obviously, the better you know the product, the better your documentation is going to be about it. So, so actually, I'm a little confused uh, uh, how you exactly approach this. Do you have... Um, do you not have like a central server where where developers upload and check in their builds or how I mean I'm confused how you how do you get the build from the developer to put on your own VM 
Uh, well, we have build machines. They don't actually build on their own machines. We have separate servers that they do the builds on, and the build automatically generates an email when it's completed with a link to where the build is. And so when uh. the writer gets that notification, then they go out there and install the build on their VMs. Okay. So you mentioned review, and this is something that's very interesting in an agile environment. It seems like in a waterfall environment, since the thing is not really done for many months, you wait until the end to get your review. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you approach the review process in an agile environment? Well, I have to say that is one of the biggest benefits uh, for writers in an agile environment is getting a more thorough review. And the way we do that is because each user story and each user, I mean, in each iteration is... Um, coded, tested, and documented before you can close that user story out. So you, we do not consider the user story complete until those three things have happened. Now, it took us a few road bumps to get there. First, you know, development and QE really wanted to go ahead and close the user story and do another documentation user story later. But the argument that we put forth was that um, the feature or function that the user story contains is not complete without the documentation. It's just not done. So um, instead of waiting to the end, like you mentioned, and getting a big review of the entire book at the end when everybody's really busy, you know, QE's off testing furiously and devs trying to finish all their uh, fixing all their bugs. What we do now is we do it piecemeal. So each iteration with each user story, um, dev and QE get a small piece of documentation review. You know, it's usually a couple pages, maybe a help window, a couple pages of a book, a help window, whatever it took to go with that particular feature or function mentioned in the user story. And we found that we get a lot more thorough reviews that way because they're not having to review an entire book at a time. And um, it's not in the busiest part of the release cycle for them. That's, that's a really good technique, actually. Uh, and I'm glad I'm talking to you so that I can benefit from this because it's one of the things I'm not really doing. Um, well, one, one reason that I'm a little hesitant, and maybe I shouldn't be, but one reason is that I think that things may change or... Um, they may get to another iteration and d decide to revise an interface or change how they approach something. Does that ever happen? Yeah, that happens all the time. And we still go ahead and send out the book towards the end of the release. After we have feature complete, um, we go ahead and send out the entire book for that kind of thing, you know, anything that might have changed since we previously reviewed it, and also to give everybody a, a picture of the context in which those little pieces of documentation that they previously reviewed are actually going to be shipped with the product. Um, and then we, we put change bars on what has changed. So people can look at only, you know, the change bars, unless they just ha happen to have time to read the whole book, which doesn't <laughs> usually happen that close to the end of the release. But we do still go ahead and send out um, the complete book at the end. And um, we also reference any help that might have changed f to catch situations like that. What are these change bars that you're referring to? Um, change bars, just bars down the left margin in a FrameMaker file that show uh, what you've changed. Okay. All right, yeah. Uh, now, another another interesting part of this review process you're describing is that I imagine that your reviewer is a, a multiplicity of developers, or do you have just one reviewer? How many people review this, this documentation? Well, when we're sending the reviews out for um, each user story function, we usually send it to the developer that review, I mean, the developer that actually coded it and um, the QE team, the testing team and the product manager. That, I think that's a, 
that seems like a really, you know, a good practice because the guy or person who coded this stuff probably knows it a little bit better than just the subject matter expert who's usually been designated to review the documentation. Right. So... Go, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that's pretty much our philosophy because we've found that we get a lot more thorough review if it's the person coding it because they tend to care about it. Now, the other interesting uh, facet of this Agile documentation is that it seems that if you have a writer dedicated to just one iteration and then that writer's other projects topple and, and or become really... Uh, urgent and you have to juggle around your resources is it easier to juggle resources since they're only working on an iteration not a whole project sometimes <laughs> uh, all of my resources move around i used to have a couple of leads that stayed on one product and um, that doesn't happen anymore so um, what i do is i move my resources around on an iteration by iteration basis instead of a complete cycle basis um, and it's usually pretty easy to do. The The one big gotcha is um, figuring out the proper capacity for each writer. And by capacity, I mean um, the number of hours they have in that iteration to dedicate to that particular project. Um, it took us a while to kind of get the hang of that because we would say, you know, this writer is 50% on project A and 50% on project B. But you know, they'd get real busy on project A or something and they'd suck up all their hours and then have nothing left for project B and then dates would get off and I wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't let me know in time for me to move somebody else on. Um, now we've gotten much better about figuring our capacity and um, remembering that if somebody's working 75% on this project and they've only got 25% for this other project, even though, you know, just because it's two projects doesn't mean it's automatically 50-50. So it's still a bit of a um, struggle just because, you know, if you're on a project for one iteration and then you're on another project and then you're pulled back on the first project, it can be a little, you know, you can kind of feel like you're getting jerked around a little until you get used to it. it what about the learning curve? It seems like uh, writers have to kind of have some sense of the whole of the project. Um, so if you if you if it came to the point where you had to actually pull a writer off to put somewhere else. What about um, the new writer? It's going to take a long time for that new writer to get up to speed, right? Yeah, that's why we try to keep leads on um, at least part of the project that have all the product knowledge and can determine which pieces of documentation that they can give to people that have less product knowledge. Um, a lot of times we give them stuff like help conversion or, you know, setting up the VM, something that they would apply on any of our projects, um, but they don't necessarily have to have a ton of product knowledge for that particular product. So they can still help out with some of the more time-consuming tasks, you know, if they're only going to be on the project for an iteration or two, um, but they don't have to spend a whole lot of time ramping up on the product. Now, having said that, we do also have a lot of cross-training on our team. I move people around fairly frequently, so just about everybody on my team has worked on at least two or three products that we ship, um, and that's not really on purpose necessarily. It's To tell you the truth, it's honestly because we just don't have enough people, and I kind of have to by necessity, but um, that helps us too because when we do need somebody, you know, to to go work on project A. I've got three or four writers that have worked on that project sometime in the past, so they have some level of product knowledge that they can help out. You mentioned cross-training and how it's a, it's an emphasis. I imagine that in order to be flexible with your authors and to switch them, them, switch them around, they all have to be 
very aware of a same style guide and use a similar authoring tool. Is that right? That's correct. We do have a, a team style guide that we all use and um, we all uh, write in FrameMaker and convert to help um, with currently WebWorks Publisher, but we're about to switch tools. So after the first of the year, so we all use the same style guide. We all use the same tools. Um, and we, when we hire people, we go through a pretty extensive training and getting them familiar with all the tools um, that we're going to be using so that they are productive fairly quickly. I know that even, even when you have all that in place, there's still differences between writers. Do you have any kind of editor that ensures there's no discrepancy or is the editorial process too slow for an agile environment? We actually do have editors. We do not have editors that are specifically editors. We peer edit. I edit um, my leads writing and my leads edit whoever's, whatever writers are working on their teams, they edit those. So we kind of have a peer editing process, really. Um, We don't have dedicated editors, like I mentioned. And um, we found that it works pretty well most of the time. Of course, some of us differ on some things, but if it's in the style guide, we all stick to the style guide, whether we like it or not, because we do discuss our style guide as a team on a frequent basis. So everybody has input into that. Um, We do allow for reviews in our agile process. Um, Sometimes we have to have our hardening iterations, um, you know, somewhere in the middle of the release or towards the end of the release to kind of wrap up our final reviews, um, get all the edits applied and that sort of thing. But um, I really don't think that agile is... um, not, does not allow for editing. In fact, I, I think it it fits in there pretty pretty nicely as long as you plan your time well. Now, af- after you've gone through an entire project through however many iterations of the Agile um, development and you've got an end product where you have X number of books in your help or X number of pages, would you say that there's a difference in that end product that was produced from this Agile environment where the writers are in versus when they were writing in the old waterfall method? I'd have to say probably the biggest difference is the higher quality of the documentation we're getting from the more thorough reviews. I really think that's probably the biggest benefit that we as writers are seeing from the agile process, aside from increased communication with our our development teams, um, which has taken a while to get there. But that's another benefit. Um, I the reviews we got before when we were doing waterfall were, you know, minimal. They weren't really great content reviews. A lot of them were like, "Well, this term's not right," or, or "You're using, you know, where's your period at the end of this sentence?" Which I mean, we we don't need development to do that. We can do that ourselves in our team. So um, I think the quality of our doc that we've written since we started the Agile stuff is um, a much higher quality and much more has a higher probability of being technically accurate than some of the stuff we might not have caught before. How do you ensure that all these developers who by nature don't like to do this review (laughs) process, how do you ensure that they actually do it and that they do a thorough job? We actually have it built into our product management process that we use. Every project that we um, ship or put together and ship goes through our internal, well, we call it actually the agile product management process. It's kind of a combination of the process we used to use before we went agile 
and the agile development process. And there's particular stages that you have to have certain deliverables from from various functional areas in order for you to exit that stage to move on to the next stage in our product management process. And that's approved by upper level executives in the company. And um, it is actually mentioned in our stage exit meetings, whether or not the documentation was reviewed and by who. So it's become very high profile and um, pretty much if you don't develop or if you as a development lead or a QE lead or a product manager do not review the documentation when we ask you to, it's going to show on that slide in the stage exit meeting for all the upper management to see that you didn't do what you need to do. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, you know, that's the kind of um, enforced requirement that I would love to have where I am, but but it seems like... um, how did you get to that point? How did you insert yourself into the requirements at such a high level like that? Well, um, we actually have represented the, the board that puts that process together. That product management process has representatives from every functional area that all work together to, you know, update that and review it and uh, see what makes the most sense. We also are very, very fortunate to have um, our vice president of engineering is extremely supportive of information development, which is wonderful because I really don't think that we would have the clout and the um, respect that we do as a group if it weren't for him. Um, We've managed to really work with him to show him how important it is that we are involved and that we are uh, uh, considered equivalent to the other functional areas. And that's been a big help. All right, I just have one last question, Alyssa. Okay. Uh, but the, the name of your department is Information Development. Does that change how other developers perceive your the role of your writers? I think it does because we don't just write. As I mentioned before, we, we're responsible for all the text on the screen. We work on usability of GUIs with the developers. We're involved at the very beginning in the design. We have a say in how the developers design the product. And our, devel- our writers are um, savvy enough and technical enough that they know how the product works on the back end. And um, I wasn't around when they named the department. I didn't work here yet. But um, from what I understand, they specifically named it that. They didn't want it to be just technical writers because we don't just write. Um, We contribute to the product in ways that, from my conversations with other writers and other companies, doesn't happen in a lot of areas and a lot of other companies. So I consider us very fortunate in that regard because I don't think I would want to work somewhere that you, you just go and write what development tells you to write. It's really nice to be involved and be able to develop information, whether it be in documentation form or develop information in a GUI form or whatever it might be to make the user's experience the best that it can be. Well, thanks, Alyssa. It, is there any other topic that we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch upon? No, I can't think of anything. I just wanted to say that um, I think it's becoming an increasing thing where you have multiple writers working on multiple teams um, and that that's really a challenge in agile development. And um, I think it's really great that so many people are sharing information out there about how agile development is working at their companies. And um, I appreciate the opportunity for the interview. Hey, where can people go if they want to find out more information about you or Agile uh, authoring? Um, Well, there's, I know the STC uh, website has a lot of good information about it. You know, all of the um, proceedings and stuff from previous conferences. As you mentioned, there were several um, talks on it last year, including uh, mine and my coworkers. Um, Our particular paper is um, actually published on the Writers UA site. Um, you can just search for Agile and it should pop up. And um, people can contact me if they want at my email address. It's alyssa.fox at netiq.com. 
and I'd be happy to help them with any questions they had or point them to somebody that can help them if I can't. All right. Well, thanks, Alyssa. Thank you.